Welcome to this week's episode of Tell Me More. We are talking about Easter Sunday with Luke Stair and Dr. Dennis Wiles and how the resurrection changes everything. Uh, we enjoyed it and we hope you do too. So join us. Okay, well, welcome to Tell Me More. Uh, we have Katie and Dr. Wiles and myself, Luke Stair, here. Full disclosure. This is tell me more and then some. Tell me and more then some. and then even more. <laughs> but also, this is take two for Dr. Wiles and That's I. We I had mean. a power outage yesterday <laughs> in our office building, and uh, we had recorded a full 30-minute podcast. I think it was great. Mm-hmm. I, I bet it was a, the best one it's yet. It's the best one we've ever done. But I it's lost. Like it is, and you can't create the magic. You can't recreate the magic. No, well, the genie's not going We sure are going to try. <laughs> <laughs> So, but I couldn't be there yesterday. But Katie couldn't be there, and now we're all here. So, well, obviously, you know, it wasn't as good as it could have been. The Lord cut the power. No doubt. Mm. No You know, doubt. I am enough of a Calvinist to believe in providence. Mm. Absolutely. Not I'm, only that, since I'm a woman not. was the first one to get the message about the resurrection, the fact that we didn't have her here. Right. So on the right. nullified On the Easter whole, tell me more. Did. Yeah. <laughs> no. But I am glad to be here. We did talk about that. We did. Um, I'll kick us off. I, I look forward to hearing everything y'all <laughs> talked about and more. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Kick us off, Luke. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is more of a funny aside than an astute theological observation. So mm-hmm. Okay. Thin line between the uh, two. Mm-hmm. As some staff were uh, in the Welcome Home Center where we help guests on Sunday morning, we were listening to the 830 sermon, and I don't remember who made the observation. It may have been Kurt Grice okay. said that John is the pettiest of all the disciples. Mm. Because that sounds like a Kurt Grice statement. He uh, wants to make sure that you, we know that he's he is fast. the fastest. <laughs> yeah. He beats Peter in a foot race. He's the most loved. Uh-huh. And uh, he just really wants you to know that Judas is a no good yeah. thief. Sorry, sucker. Yeah. Um, so just a little yeah. petty. Right. All the respect we have for John, we right. have to also acknowledge. But <clears throat> I, I don't think say. he's petty. <laughs> Kurt in, in, in the interest of recreating the magic, we did yes. talk about John's unique perspective, though. Yes, Okay, yes. Hit, hit me with it. Yeah. Well, I mean, we didn't talk about – there's so many things we could have talked about, you know, that you just don't have time for. Hence the podcast, Tell Me More. Yes, right? just the premise. Mm-hmm. Um, there are just so many things. So, for example, this long conversation between Mary Magdalene and Jesus, which has a little bit of um, – I wouldn't say comical, comic relief, but I mean the fact that she thought he was the gardener right. when really and truly in some ways he is the gardener and the miracle of the resurrection happens in a garden, a little, I think, reflective theology that <clears throat> obviously the Lord made sure happened. But So we didn't even talk about that. We didn't talk about the fact that that women were the first ones to witness the empty tomb and mm-hmm. and had the ability to share the story that Jesus is risen. Um, and if you think about that first century where women, you know, I think there's a little bit of debate about what they could do and couldn't do. You know, I think there's a little bit of disagreement about it. But but generally speaking, they would not have been the first people to call in to be a witness to anything of magnitude and that that the best news in the history of humanity was actually entrusted to a group of women, Mary being one of them. And uh You know my name is Mary. Mary For the Kathleen. Record. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, strong name. Thanks, Mom. <laughs> and as Luke pointed out, um, not just that, but the woman at the well. She's the first person that Jesus tells he's the Messiah. Yeah. 
And so, she gets entrusted with that news. Yeah. So John's... Of, of all people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. John's perspective is the way he tells the story. So I didn't have time to go into all of that, but there's, there is a thread there worth <coughs> exploring. Sure. You know, that this message about the resur- of all things, Jesus is the Messiah, and then second, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead <laughs> is entrusted to women to then go tell the disciples, um, which I, I find that quite fascinating. And then the whole... Nicodemus reappears, you know, to help with the mm-hmm. body of Jesus. We really didn't, I'd already talked a little bit about that earlier, but it was just a good word to me, kind of bookending that Nicodemus story that nobody else tells but John. And so it it has really, uh, for some reason this year, captivated me in a way. And I think it's because when I was in Rome, I saw that Pieta in Orvieto that I've never seen before, and Nicodemus is in it. And just to have him there, he was holding a ladder and he had the nails in his hands, you know, in this sculpture that we saw at the, at this cathedral in um, Orvieto. And um, <clears throat> yeah, I, I just stood there and looked at it and I thought, my goodness, how do you not tell this story without, I mean, you have to have Nicodemus, you know, um, because I think John intentionally, you know, places him, I mean, obviously he was there, but I mean, the fact that he could tell about Nicodemus come to see Jesus, and now here he is actually handling the body of our Lord. So think about how few people have touched the very body of Jesus and the blood of Jesus. Well, Nicodemus is one. Mm-hmm. So I find that fascinating. So, mm-hmm. you know, we didn't really get into all that. We didn't we, we didn't really talk about Thomas. I didn't have time to talk about that whole story and how how would you have responded if they'd told you, if Mary Magdalene came and told you Jesus is alive and then your friends told you, but you hadn't seen him and you, and you knew he was dead. We didn't really talk about that. So Mm. there's a lot in this account that John gives us that just adds so much texture to the resurrection story that, um, you know, we just didn't have the opportunity to get into, but you could, I mean, I could have preached a whole sermon on just what do you do with your doubt? What do you do Mm. with, you know, your your desire to have things more authenticated. Yeah. How do you manage that? I don't want to be too critical of Thomas because, you know. <laughs> I heard a really interesting observation about Thomas that I never thought about it from this angle. I use a prayer app every morning. Um, and this morning it was walking through that passage from John with Thomas. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that this person pointed out that I had never thought of the text from this angle is maybe not so much that this is rational doubt, but it's that Thomas wasn't there when Jesus appeared to the other disciples. And so in this prayer, um, he, the author Pete Grieg is reading, I'm struck by that first line in this famous passage. Thomas was not with them when Jesus came. How must he have felt overlooked, bypassed, even rejected by Jesus? Might this perhaps help explain the defiance and prickliness of his response to the others? Unless I place my hand into his side, I will never believe. And maybe like so many skeptics and cynics down the ages, Thomas's intellectual objections are, in fact, less rational than emotional. Sometimes I feel like Thomas when Jesus shows up for others, blesses others, and speaks to others in ways he hasn't yet done for me. Mm-hmm. And I never thought about that mm-hmm. perspective before mm-hmm. for Thomas. Mm-hmm. And you wonder, where? so where was he? Yeah, we 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 just don't know. But I mean, Thomas' story is interesting because you he dips in and out, mm-hmm. and we get these very detailed, very mm-hmm. 
personal at accounts. At one point, he even says, well, let's go to Jerusalem and die. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you think, oh, my gosh, Thomas, dude. The <laughs> Where'd he, where he go? <laughs> You know, yeah, um, and then you don't hear from him, and then come, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. he's a fascinating so, character. Yeah, there's just so many twists and turns in the story that we could have just spent time with, and and even even the whole concept of the resurrected body, mm-hmm. and take time to talk about that because obviously Jesus just appears in the room. The room's locked, so there's something different now. I mean, yeah, there there are a lot of things we could have. I mean, we needed to cover what we covered, in my opinion. I'm, I'm, we I'm, did. I'm happy with it. <laughs> yeah. I'm happy with it. Okay. I, I preached it. I'm good with it. Um, do you have any regrets? If, no, if I'm so, good. let's I listen. I think it was just what I wanted to do. And uh, and this whole idea of Jesus pointing out Jesus being the single most important person who's ever lived. I just, just feel like sometimes you just need to state the obvious. And Easter's a great Sunday to do that. And it's a great story. So, mm. <clears throat> Well, can I ask, because I wasn't here yesterday. Uh, for this, y'all talked a little bit about your own approach to Good Friday. Luke, you had told me that. Yeah, we because talked a little bit about that. Because for the ways that y'all were brought up, mm-hmm. Good Friday wasn't part of your, mm-hmm. you know, initial faith practice. Is that right? That's correct. So, will you tell me more about that? What does Good Friday mean to you now? How have you kind of approached it as an adult? Yeah, I, I, uh, again, um, yeah, Luke and I talked about this. I guess we'll let everybody else in on it now that this one's actually recording, right? Just, yeah. Um, okay. we um, we're confident it's working this <laughs> yeah. time and Lord willing the power stays <laughs> Way to go, on. Way to go, Kyle. Um, well, yeah, I, I was I was explaining to Luke when I was growing up in my church, which was a, a really good church, Bible-believing church, but the entire Easter event was all celebration. We We yeah. started on Palm Sunday, and it was a celebratory service. As children, I can remember we had palm branches and, you know, we would come down the aisle and sometimes our children's choirs would sing or whatever. And it was just a great day of celebration. And then you just had Easter week. And and I grew up in somewhat of a Catholic community. And so my home church did their best to distinguish us from all of that. And so the Roman Catholic Church would have you know, a Maundy Thursday service and a Good Friday service. Well, we for sure weren't going to have that at our church. <laughs> so we went from Palm Sunday to Easter. So we went from celebration to celebration, and it was awesome. I mean, my goodness, Easter was incredible. Music was always just beautiful, um, and uh, the church was always full. And so that was my experience. And so when I became a pastor, that was still true. I did Palm Sunday, and you preach a sermon on Palm Sunday and a sermon on um resurrection. And then as I got a little older and um, uh, I went to a church that actually did a Maundy Thursday service, which I had never done before. Well, growing up, that felt very Roman Catholic to me. And for those that are not aware, Maundy Thursday commemorates the Last Supper on Thursday. Yeah. And Jesus given that mandate, love each other. And so hence Maundy. Um, Well, and then we had that church also had a Good Friday service. And I had just never done that. So my first Maundy Thursday, Good Friday worship services, I was actually leading, and I had never been to one huh. ever. Mm-hmm. Interesting. But I do remember the journey of how it affected me to to walk out of church on Good Friday night. It it impacted me powerfully. I still remember it, and that it's still true. Same thing happened to me this year. You, I think the Good Friday service totally contextualizes. Easter Sunday, yeah, you know. In fact, I, for me personally, I would feel 
uh, like I haven't really prepared myself as well had I not been to the Good Friday mm. service. Just to acknowledge the death of Jesus, to contemplate it in it, and even more, I mean, obviously the torturous nature of the crucifixion is one thing, for sure, but just the whole meaning of it all and the separation and the broken, the brokenness and the sadness that this is what had to happen, that all of that emotion, <clears throat> the, the theological richness of it, but just the personal experience of it for me is powerful, and I felt it. And then I'm, I'm in a text group with a group of pastors in town. There's a, I think there's like 14 or 15 of us on this text group. We're part of the Engage Arlington Network, and we're the leaders of it. Um, my first text came at 5, and I was already awake. It was one of those pastors, and he just said, you know, he has risen. He's risen indeed. Well, the next, I mean, like 10 seconds later, another pastor, I mean, amen, he has risen, praying for you. I mean, 10, you know, 10 seconds later, another pastor, yet we're praying. So 5 o'clock on Sunday morning, us pastors were already awake. And one of the reasons mm. is because I couldn't wait to get to church for Easter. I mean, I'd, my last experience was Good Friday, and it was like I could not wait to get here to celebrate. You know, I had to pick my little granddaughter up to bring her here for children's choir. And um, so I'm, <clears throat> I pull up in their front yard. Well, she's standing out in the front yard with her little Easter dress on and her little backpack ready. And I mean, you know, I roll the window down. She's like, happy Easter, Poppy. And I was like, happy Easter, honey. That, that is exactly right. Get in this car. Let's go to church. Mm, <laughs> you know? So, you know, um, yeah. So not having that growing up, I get it. I, I think I understand why we didn't do it. It makes sense to me, but man, I wouldn't miss it now. You know, I wouldn't either. Yeah. Well, in the entire Linton, Linton season, mm -hmm. Ash Wednesday, yeah, kicking it we off. Did, now we do Ash Wednesday, as yeah. we talked a bit about that. Yeah, and the fact that we actually do it intentionally, and it and it's it's um, it marks the beginning of a season for us. The, the, the whole thing, you're right, Katie, from Ash Wednesday to Easter Sunday now, to me, is um, it's just, it's a meaningful time. Good. And um, and the cool thing is Easter doesn't end. I mean, it, it's... <laughs> It's 12 days long, yeah. in case you didn't know, on the official yeah, church calendar around Easter, the world. Easter tide. Yeah, we're in Easter tide right now. Yeah. And, uh, Happy Easter tide. That's right. Everybody. But being Easter people, I mean, the res as I said Sunday morning, the resurrection of Jesus just changes everything. It does. You know, it changes our whole life, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it changes our lives. It changes, I mean, just the whole world. It changes everything. Mm -hmm. Truly. <coughs> we talked about that because we, my boys have been sick. Well, obviously, I've been sick. You can hear it, but our boys have been sick. And it was very disappointing because one of them spiked a fever Saturday night. And so actually they all had little fevers. One had a big fever. And so no one came to church on Easter Sunday except me. And Ryan had to stay home with his family and take care of our boys. We were just disappointed because mm -hmm. it's freaking Easter. Mm -hmm. And we're at home yeah, again. And we missed Pop Sunday because we were Yeah, we missed Pop Sunday because we were in the ER with Sam mm -hmm. and anyway. Yeah. Um but we reflected like, you know, it's it just East it doesn't, it's, it's more for us mm -hmm. that follow Jesus in the everyday. Mm -hmm. e Easter's more than just getting dressed up and going to church on Sunday. Yeah. It just changes everything. It's just, mm -hmm. it colors everything. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just, mm -hmm. yeah. it's what we build our whole life around. And the hope that of the resurrection, I mean, you think about how, you know, if you, if you live your life, and as some people do, as if this is all there is, is this, this is just all there is, this life right here. Well, think about that. Um, first of all, it's a lot of pressure on this life. But, um, I mean, to me, that I think that drives you to extremes. You know, 
materialism. If this is all mm-hmm. there is, well, then why not try to get everything you can? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Go for all the gusto. Grab uh-huh. it. If you can get it, grab it and seize it and hold on sure, to it. Sure. very hedonistic. Um, yeah. yeah, just live life that way or um, or maybe live it apathetically. If, if I mean, if there's really no meaning. Then, then nothing really matters. What difference does it make, you know? But if Jesus is raised from the dead, so think about how on the cross our sin is atoned for and taken care of, and so we've got the opportunity to be forgiven. But then the last enemy is death. And for Jesus to be resurrected from the dead, to never die again, true victory, not, no, not taking anything from Lazarus or the widow of Nain's son. I mean, Jairus' daughter, those were incredible miracles. But, but they, they all died. They all died. And, and they came back with their, they came back with their same body. Yes. You know, I mean, Lazarus was dead, but he, when they unwrapped him, he's got, he's got his same body. I don't want to minimize it by saying resuscitation instead yeah. of resurrection, but yeah. it's more akin yeah. it's, to that. Yeah. Raised, I would say. But to be resurrected from the dead um, and think about those, however it happened, whatever, however Jesus was wrapped, you know, so they go in there, the disciples, and there it all is just laying there on that table, you know, and the face covering. Well, this body's not that body. This is a different body, and it's recognizable, and it's still got features that they see, but this is different. And that, to me, signals something that, you know what, there's more to life than just this. Philip Yancey wrote that book, Rumors of Another World. It's where he says he hears these whispers, like, ooh, how do you, you say, well, Okay, how do you explain all the evil in the world? Yancey's question is, well, how do you explain all the good? Hmm. Where does that come from? Or, we, or how do you explain all the brokenness? And he'll say, well, yeah, well, how do you explain where there's real justice? Where does that come from? What drives that? What's the moral imperative that's there? And he says, I just hear these whispers. There's something else going on here. Something else is afoot. And the resurrection of Jesus, to me, seals the deal there. And so it gives me hope. It knows that every time I go and do a funeral, it's just not the last word. And those families sometimes, as y'all all know, we've been in ministry, you're with these families, it's sad. And for some of them, it's really sad, depending on the circumstances. It's really hard. I just stood with my family just a few months ago at the cemetery, my 45-year-old niece. It's sad, you know, looking at her children and her husband and you and, and her parents, my brother and his wife, and, and I, you know, and seeing my niece at the end of her life, which we were able to do, of course, I've known her her whole life. I baptized her. I did her wedding. I mean, my goodness. Um, and there I am watching them take her body and lower it into a, into a grave. The finality of that, y'all, was just, I mean, it was, it was palpable to me. Mm-hmm. It was like, okay, so we're, we're all going to get in these cars and we're going to go back to Carly's house. And there is no Carly. And when we come and visit here in a few months, there will there will be no Carly in this home. Yeah. However, the knowledge and the belief and the hope that um, the day is coming, though, where we will see Carly incredibly alive and without a brain tumor, without that body mm-hmm. I saw, and see her in the fullness of who she really is as she was created to be, to live fully, purposefully into this existence God has us for eternity, and that she prepared for it the whole time she was alive to imagine what kind of blessing it's going to be. Well, that mm. that's more than a game changer. That, that's just, that just transforms my whole view of reality. And uh, praise God. So I'm an Easter Amen. person. 
I think about uh, my father-in-law died of cancer just over two years ago. And so he was sick in the hospital for well over a year. Our youngest was too young to remember this, but Evelyn was old enough to ask questions and to know. So I remember after he died, just talking through her about this to her um, and talking about resurrection and just this hope. And so, I mean, there are still times when she'll ask about granddad and say, well, he's with Jesus and mm-hmm. he's never going to get sick again and he will never hurt again. Mm-hmm. And just the miraculous nature of what resurrection does. And right. so the fact that my daughter, who is just learning mm-hmm. <laughs> what Jesus is all about, can cling to this hope of resurrection, mm-hmm. that there will be no sickness in these right. bodies. There will be no pain. There will mm-hmm. be no more death. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, when <clears throat> when we were younger, um, Cindy and I went to seminary and thought we were going to be missionaries. And uh, so we interviewed with the board and for a position in West Africa with some friends of ours. And, and obviously we didn't end up going. We I wanted to finish my PhD, but they went. And um, uh, Barry and Dana Nottingham and Barry and Dana got there in um, Burkina Faso, is what we call it today. And Barry got really sick mm. and um, <clears throat> really smart guy. He'd gone to A&M. He was going to be an astronaut. God come to ministry and, and teased me a good bit about not going on with the process. In fact, the last letter I got from Barry, it said, uh, when you get back in God's will, I'll see you in Africa, you know, that kind of thing. And, uh, and so, um, well, he gets really sick. It's malaria, diphtheria, um, numerous things are wrong with him. Well, he ends up contracting this amoeba and, um, uh, and he died. And I'll never forget, you know, that phone call, you know, when they call me that to say, you know, Hey Dennis, we'll tell you something about, but we knew he was sick. They told us he'd been transported to a hospital they said, you know, Barry didn't make it. And I remember I was sitting in the, in my office in Tyler, and I was like, what do you mean he didn't make it? And they were like, well, you know, he, he didn't make it. You know, we they did everything they could. Man. And I was thinking of all the people. I mean, this guy was willing to leave. Like, he left everything, you know, to go take the gospel to an unreached people group. It was really hard. So when they got his body home finally, um, they had his funeral over in Hillsboro. So we went to the funeral. Well, Hannah was little. And so we um, we had some friends of ours in Mertens, and we said, we're going to leave Hannah with them. And we're kind of like our surrogate grandparents. Well, she really wanted to go to the funeral. And and she so we're driving over to Mertens, and, and I said, well, honey, you know, we're not, you're not going. And she said, well, I want to see Mr. Barry. And I said, well, honey, Mr. Barry's not there. She said, what do you mean? It's his funeral. You know, she's little, you know. And I said, well, Mr. Barry's not there. His body's there. He's not there. He's with Jesus. She said, okay. So anyway, we did the funeral. So the next night we get home, we're saying our prayers that night. And, and Hannah said, dad, when I die, am I going to go to heaven and be with Jesus? And I said, yes. She sat there for a second. She said, well, when I go, I'm taking my body with me. And I thought, <laughs> so that little kid for two days had been thinking, <coughs> how in the world Barry Nottingham get to heaven? Yep. And he didn't take his body with him. So what? <laughs> What's supposed to happen here? And I thought, what a what a great word to uh-huh. me. And so I told her, I said, well, you know, one day you might not take this body with you, honey, but you're gonna get one, mm-hmm. you know. And um, and so, you know, it, uh, it it does bring us hope, you know. Yeah. And that's why, to me, every Sunday is Easter Sunday, really. If you think about it, you know, it's it's our life, it's who we are, and uh, that's why I, I found it humorous when I had that young man from another faith when he finally realized, you know, Jesus had been raised from the dead, and he said that to me. So, did you know? Jesus has been raised from the dead on Easter. Yes. Well, we should tell people about this. 
Yes. We are doing our best. We're doing Which our very is. best. <laughs> but I think what we've said also points back to why we celebrate, celebrate, sounds like it's the wrong word, observe Good Friday mm-hmm. as a church. I mm-hmm. think if you've been touched by death in your life mm-hmm. and you know that weight that mm-hmm. we've talked about that just kind of stops you and floors you and confuses you, mm-hmm. you know that it, mm-hmm. if you just gave into it, it could take you under. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what Good Friday is about. That's it's right. about that weight. Mm-hmm. That Jesus died, mm-hmm. um, and there's grief and there's pain. But then I think to realize the hope that comes on Sunday, it just that weight of grief, I think, puts that total elation of resurrection. You, those two together just mm-hmm. mean so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think, too, you know, every time we go to Rome, people usually, mostly our church members, almost exclusively, actually, Inevitably, though, I will get asked the question, so why is it that every <coughs> church we go into in Rome has Jesus on the cross? You know, <laughs> that question comes up every single year because as you make your way through Rome, it, it's rare to see an empty cross. Now, you you know, like you'll see like a priest, he may have a, you know, a staff, you know, right. have a cross on it with that's empty. Um, and, you know, you, you see them, you know, on the tops of churches or you may see them, uh, you know, in various places. But for the most part— most of the artistic depictions of the cross, Jesus is on the cross. <clears throat> and uh, and so um, we have that conversation about, well, you know, there's this whole mystique, if you will, for some people about the crucifix and m- makes Protestants really nervous. <laughs> you know? And so I can remember as a kid, our pastor saying, our cross is empty. You know, you see our cross, empty, you know, just like the tomb, which is true. I get it. But as I've gotten older, you know, he actually was on one, though. I mean, he was. He, he was on one, and so there's nothing wrong to depict that. It's hard to do because you're depicting the body of Jesus, but it's but it's sobering, you know. And so, if you think I don't think about that on Good Friday, well, of course I do. You know, I'm I have so many photos of my life in Rome, and sure, I'll take a minute and scroll back and look at some of those and remind myself that, uh, you know, Jesus, the body of Jesus was on a cross and it was gruesome and awful. Um, and I, I'm grateful the cross is empty. The tomb is empty, but, uh, and it, you know, I know it took the church a long time to embrace the cross as a symbol just because it was so negatively received. Why, why would it, why you think about it, in the early centuries, why would a Christian wear a cross? Mm-hmm. That's almost, that was an insult. Something like you wanted to forget. That's the part of the story you wanted to forget. So it took a it while. It was foolishness. Yeah. So you think about it. It took a while for the church to embrace it, even as as an icon, you know, just, just something to symbolize who we are. And now it's the most recognizable, I guess, symbol in the world, would you say? Maybe? I mean, I, 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 it's I hard to think of one that might be more recognizable. Yeah. And so, <coughs> but in the early days, no way would a Christian, I mean, you think about how the Christians would use a, a fish or, um, you know, they used all kinds of things, you know, uh, Cairo mm-hmm. or that kind of stuff. It took a long time before a cross is found, you know, um, archaeologically because, and that makes sense. You know, it's just uh, now everybody wears crosses now. I mean, you know, people don't even, it's just, it's just decorative, yeah. I guess. Yeah, right. It's what it is. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to buy one at Hobby Lobby and put it on my wall. Yeah. 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 Jewelry, right. everything. And so, but think about how crucial it is. To, it's like I say crucial. <laughs> it Ayo. is to our faith. <laughs> Nailed it. Thank you. Um, <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I mean, because, you know, it, it. without it, 
then the, then this doesn't work. But the tomb, you know, when I went to Israel, I've only been once. You know, you go to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, which we think that's really where Jesus was buried. I mean, we don't know, but my goodness. <clears throat> you know, Constantine's mom went there, and he commissioned her to put churches on the holy sites, and she asked the leaders, you know, 320 so or so, of the Christians, well, where was Jesus buried? Well, you know, it had I mean, it'd been a couple hundred years, but it's not that far removed. So yeah. I'm pretty sure they knew where it was, you know. And you go there, and man, I just remember that feeling of so. This is where it happened. Mm. This is where everything changed. I mean, I mean, I'm walking, I'm walking around where Jesus was resurrected from the dead. I mean, come on, y'all. You know, you just you couldn't That's help but just get overwhelmed. I do like the garden tomb. Yeah, historically, maybe not the place, yeah. but it's fun to go and and. Yeah. Fun to go, like yeah. I go, like it's Disneyland, yeah, yeah, like I yeah. go every year. Right. But it's it's a, it's a pleasant it's, place. Yeah, it's a more um, it's easier to imagine what it, that's happened what it is. there. It's not as than at the church that's been built there. Yeah, it's so it's ornate. Say commercialized. And, and yeah, ornate. I agree. Mm-hmm. But I think there was something to me about that particular piece of real estate. Yeah. you know what I mean. To stand there it. and think, okay, what really happened? This is it. My goodness, I'm standing at a place where the most important thing ever happened. And you're talking about holy ground, you know. I mean, the dirt there's no older than the dirt in Arlington, you know. <laughs> but something happened on that dirt. Special. And uh, you're right, the garden tomb, you know. <clears throat> but it's just a special place. Yeah, it is. And and usually <coughs> it's kind of the Protestant's um, resurrection site, mm-hmm. you know, I guess. And um, usually there's a worship service going on and, you know, that kind of thing. So it it has a certain feel to it for sure. So, and we're, we're, we're thinking about taking a trip there next year. So I didn't know if you wanted to tease that. I <laughs> well, we'll see. Well, that's kind of what we're planning. So we'll see. Yeah. So if you listen to the podcast, you we don't have a sign up form yet, but right. they ask me about it all the time. One of the things we talked about in our first attempt at recording this is that the different kind of three main branches of Christianity, Protestantism, Roman Catholicism, and Eastern Orthodoxy have kind of a focus on a different high day of the church calendar. So for Protestants, obviously it's Easter. Mm -hmm. For the Roman Catholic Church, I would say they lean more towards being Good Friday people. We see that in the art. Mm -hmm. Eastern Orthodoxy is Christmas because it's when the incarnation happens. And it's in their mind, incarnation is what catalyzes all of this change. Um, I've also thought about it since then, and I kind of wonder if we might also say for the Pentecostals, Mm -hmm. it's Pentecost, Pentecost. not that they would mark it as a holiday. but you're right. But <clears throat> Yeah. So as you live amongst Roman Catholic neighbors, I don't know that you have many Eastern Orthodox neighbors in Arlington. Yeah. But probably not as many. There's mm-hmm. that's why sometimes we see that different focus. Mm-hmm. There's a theological influence mm-hmm. happening and, there. And really for us is the church, big C, all of those. That that's our story. I mean, and you build liturgically, you build a year around it, you know. Mm-hmm. For all of us, yeah. I mean, you you go from Advent to Pentecost, and and it's it's a it's a story that's time tested, and it's it's weighty enough to to carry everything. You know, I can remember when I was teaching preaching at Truett Seminary. <clears throat> sometimes my students would say, "Now, okay, so you've been preaching for a long time." My response to that is always, "Define long." I don't, I'm not sure what you mean by that, but. Um, Anyway, Careful. Careful. so uh, <laughs> I say, yeah. They'll say, well, I'll never forget. I, one of them asked me just directly. He said, so how do you 
how do you come up with something to say every Sunday? And the follow-up question was, and how do you come up with something to say at Easter? And um, <clears throat> so I've, I've thought a lot about that, but my response was, second one first, well, you can just tell the story of Easter. It's actually a really good story. So <laughs> you know, uh, it kind of preaches itself. Yeah, you just, um, yeah. But then to me, the the our theological heritage and, and the scripture is so rich and dense. The way I look at it, I've only got like 20, 25 minutes on a Sunday. And, you know, church people, some of them are going to miss a couple of Sundays a month. So now I've only got them two Sundays. And then I'm going to take, you know, July off. So I'm now down to 46 of them, 48 of them, whatever it is. And and half of them, not everybody's going to be so I mean, I'm like, yeah, what, 20 times you, you, you got to be kidding me. Why well, I'm, I'm, I'm cutting stuff out all the time. <laughs> I have so much to say, you know, that uh, that's not an issue for me what to no, come up with to, to say. not trying you know? to drum up business. Uh, no, yeah. there's so much there. And there's just like we just said, there's so many things we could have done Sunday morning. There's 12 Easter sermons and what we've just talked about, all of them legitimate. We could have addressed any of them Sunday and it would have been great. Um, and so... That's how I feel every week, you know, that there's just so much to communicate that matters, mm-hmm. you know, so that's the beauty of, of, of what we have as Christians. There's so much that matters. And so, yeah. And, and I'm, and I'm grateful for how these gospel writers, they tell these stories and they tell them from different perspectives, but they tell, it's the same story. So you've got enough credibility that it's the same story. You know, you got a crucifixion, you got a trial, you've got Pilate, you've got the Jews, you've got the resurrection, you've got the empty tomb. I mean, but they tell it from different angles, you know, it's almost like they're watching something from over here and the other one's watching it from over here. And I didn't even notice that, you know, I didn't see that part of it. I didn't, I didn't even think to write about that. And um, I love that to me that, that just authenticates the reliability of the witness, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I'm grateful we have these different views. And then I love the fact that we've got the theological reflection of people like Paul and Peter to really help us take it and put it into our faith, you know? So yeah, the Lord's been good to us, y'all, what he's given us. It's been a great walk through John. It, it's rising up there for me now. I still have a yeah, draw like, to yeah, the gospel of Luke, but give John a chance. <laughs> I know, but yeah, yeah, petty. Yeah, but it was—it's been a really good journey. And and you know, this morning I was reading John this morning in our daily Bible reading, and uh, I mean the opening prologue to John's gospel. I mean, there's no, there's a reason why they usually in art he's depicted with an eagle, you know, because the idea is his gospel soars, and and you read that opening page, and you're like, what a, wow, what a. What an incredible way to start the gospel, you know, and and be so encompassing to your audience. Um, and it's just stood the test of time. Even if you're not a Christian, the it's opening, a work of art. Yeah, it really is. It's it's powerful. So yeah, it's good. Love it. And on to the next thing. Yeah, here we go. Turns out we'll be back next Sunday. Yeah, we will. Family. Family. Talking about family. Why does it matter? That won't be complicated oh, at all. No, it's real easy. <laughs> not if you're me. Cookie cutter. Not really. Mm. I look forward to listening. It's going to be good. Good. Well, 
Okay. Well, hey, thanks everyone for listening. I th- feel like every week one of us hears from someone who we didn't realize listened to the podcast. Uh, so we're glad you're out there. Um, we have fun making it. I'm, I'm glad you all it's, enjoy it's listening to it. It's good to know that it. people listen to it. Yeah. Amen. So thanks for being here. to the Tell Me More podcast today. You can subscribe to this podcast on your app of choice, or you can visit us at fbca.org to find out more information about the podcast and our church. Thanks for listening. Have a good day.